This is Science Friday. I'm Sci-Fi producer Kathleen Davis. And I'm Swapna Krishna. I'm a space and science journalist. Kathleen and I are filling in for Ira this week. Later in the hour, I talk with an astronomer and astrobiologist about searching for signs of life and for meaning in the far reaches of outer space. Plus, how humans have changed Wyoming's alpine lakes and the critters that live there. And in a sport in which every ounce matters, designers are scaling back the paint on Formula One cars. But first, last week, the Department of Energy announced seven clean hydrogen hubs. Together, these hubs will receive a total of $7 billion in funding. They're tasked with figuring out how to make hydrogen fuel with little or no emissions. Joining me now to break down the details of this big announcement and other top science news of the week is my guest, Casey Crownhart, climate reporter for MIT Technology Review in New York City. Casey, welcome back to Science Friday. Thanks so much for having me back. It is nice to have you back. So tell me, what kinds of hydrogen fuel projects are these federal dollars going towards? There's really a huge range of projects here. And so each of these seven regional hubs actually has a couple of different approaches towards making and also using hydrogen. The goal here is kind of to kickstart a whole industry for clean hydrogen. So some of the projects use low carbon electricity, so renewables like wind and solar or nuclear power to make hydrogen fuel. Others, and this is kind of where some of the controversy around this comes, uh, use fossil fuels and then try to capture the carbon while they're making hydrogen. There's a really wide range of projects. It's really, really interesting to see. So we have been talking about the promise of clean hydrogen fuel for years on this show. I mean, is this enough funding to kickstart the industry and make this low or no emission carbon fuel a reality anytime soon? Oh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I will say that this is kind of part of a whole strategy by the U.S. and, you know, kind of internationally to make hydrogen fuel actually happen. So this funding comes from the infrastructure law that was passed a couple of years ago. Um, there's also going to be funding from the climate bill or the Inflation Reduction Act that helps to subsidize clean hydrogen production. So I think in combination with some of those other things, people are really interested to see if this is the boost that the industry really needs to make this fuel uh, more economical. Yeah. And you hinted at this, but there are some critics of these clean hydrogen projects, right? Yeah. I mean, it all depends on kind of how you define clean. Like you said, the goal here is to make hydrogen with as few emissions as possible. Because when you burn hydrogen, there's no greenhouse gases. Um, you're just making water. So it all depends on kind of how you're making the fuel. If you're making it with renewables, thumbs up, good to go. If you're making it with fossil fuels and you're trying to capture that carbon, there's kind of a lot at stake with that kind of technology. And it's a technology that hasn't really been proven at scale. Some critics say that this is kind of entrenching the role of fossil fuels. Um, so I think those projects are kind of being watched very carefully by a lot of folks in the climate community. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to another piece of news about fuel this week. The EPA has officially classified leaded fuel as a danger to public health, which, Casey, I have to say I was shocked to learn that leaded fuel was still being used at all. I mean, who <laughs> is still using leaded fuel? 
This is a great question and actually exactly the reaction that I had to this news as well. Leaded fuel used to be everywhere. We used to use it in in cars and everything. It was added to fuels to make engines work better. And as we started to learn that lead is not so great for public health, it was phased out pretty much everywhere except for small planes. So small planes today, you know, the ones that carry between like two and 10 passengers, a lot of those still use leaded fuels today. Okay. And I would imagine these smaller planes, smaller airports are maybe in communities that are maybe closer to people than like a normal large international airport would be. Yeah, I think that that's really right. The EPA identified that up to 5 million people who live near these small airports could be affected by these leaded fuels, which is why they took this step to kind of start the process of potentially phasing it out. Okay, so what's the timeline that we're looking at here? It's not totally clear yet. So this step is just kind of the first step that the agency needs to take, and then it'll, you know, continue to set rules. It could be around 2030, maybe. That's what industry groups want to happen. So, I mean, a few years yet, but, you know, hopefully soon we'll uh, get the lead out of fuels. I hope so. (laughs) Speaking of phasing things out, our next story is about how the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service declared 21 new extinct species. So Casey, give us, I guess, the highlights, lowlights, I don't know what the right word is for this, um, about these new extinct species. Yes, a much more unfortunate phasing out here. So like you said, there are 21 species that were just declared extinct. There's a lot of birds, a bat, a lot of freshwater mussels on this list. Those have all been labeled extinct. Those were part of a list that was proposed two years ago. And so now officially the government has said, we really think these species aren't around anymore. We're going to kind of stop spending money looking for them and protecting them and and so on. Mm. So there's one species that is notably not on this list, uh, and that is the ivory-billed woodpecker. Why has this specific move been controversial? Yes. So the ivory-billed woodpecker was on the list two years ago to be proposed for delisting but it did not make this final list. And that's very controversial because there's not been a reputable sighting of this bird for about 80 years. Ivory-billed woodpeckers were the largest species of woodpecker in North America. They're very distinctive, um, but because of habitat destruction, because of hunting, their populations were absolutely decimated. But it's been this really interesting thing where every few years or so, there will be a sighting where somebody says, hey, look at this super grainy video, this super blurry photo that I have, I saw an ivory-billed woodpecker. And birders and and birding experts are like, no, that was not an Mm -hmm. ivory-billed woodpecker. And so it is kind of interesting that the agency did not kind of throw in the towel on these birds, even though most experts say it is really time to to let the ivory-billed woodpecker go. Interesting. Well, we will keep an eye on that. We have another animal story, but luckily this story is about animals that are alive and well (laughs) and thriving, and they're actually working as research assistants. Uh, (laughs) Seals have helped scientists map a deep canyon in Antarctica, 
this sounds kind of bananas to me. Can you tell me about this? I know. I love this story. And I love it because this isn't the first time that this has happened. Like scientists have (laughs) used seals as research assistants before. But there's this new study where basically researchers put trackers on elephant seals and Weddell seals. And seals often dive really deep into the ocean. And so by comparing where seals were diving with kind of known maps of the seafloor, Scientists were able to find that in some spots, seals were diving deeper than they thought was possible. They thought, okay, the ocean is this deep, but then they were noticing that seals were diving deeper than that. And so that helped them find this large hidden canyon, which they later mapped with sonar. So yeah, the cutest research assistants. Yeah. And it sounds like these scientists were like, okay, these seals were already doing this thing that we would like to explore. (laughs) Let's just throw some some devices on them and see what information we can get. Yes, I love it. And it's kind of fun, but also this could be important because these deep canyons can move warm water around in the Antarctic region. And that can really affect how ice melts. And so it could be Mm. really important as we try to understand how ice is melting with climate change. Okay, so let's move on to another story, and this is about a new number that just dropped. Researchers calculated how many living cells exist. So, Casey, just how many living cells are there? There are one nonillion living cells, Okay, which is 10 to the 30th power. These numbers really break my brain. That means that there are a trillion times more living cells than number of sand grains on the planet and a million times more living cells than the number of stars in the universe. Okay, so aside from this just being completely mind-boggling, I mean, why is it important for us to know this? Yeah, so researchers did this, and then they also kind of used that to calculate how many living cells have ever existed. And so by having these estimates, they're kind of able to predict, you know, in the really, really distant future, how might cells grow, how how much life could the planet sustain in theory, just kind of giving us a window into kind of the deep past and the deep future. Okay, so now that you've broken our brains, <laughs> it's time to burn our tongues with some very spicy news. The Guinness Book of World Records has crowned a new spiciest pepper. So Casey, I mean, give me the lowdown. How spicy is this pepper? It's really, really, really spicy. The name of it is Pepper X. And you might be familiar with this scale called Scoville heat units. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of how we measure spice. Um, So like bland food is a zero. A jalapeno is about 5,000. Bear spray is 2.2 million. And Pepper X is 2.69 million Scoville heat units. So spicier than bear spray. I mean, how do you even grow a pepper that is this spicy? (laughs) Um, So there is a spicy pepper expert. His name is Ed Curry, and he crossbreeds peppers. And so Pepper X is actually the hybrid of the Carolina Reaper, which was the old record holder at, you know, a measly 1.64 million Scoville heat units. And so he crossed that pepper with some other mysterious pepper that he is not revealing to come up with. (laughs) Yes, it's very protected. Very mysterious. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
if this is spicier than bear spray, I would imagine it doesn't taste that good. What is the point of making such a spicy pepper? I don't know. I want to, this pepper to stay as far away from me as possible. I don't want anything <laughs> to do with it. People that have eaten it say that after all of the pain subsides, there's sort of an earthy taste to it. So mm. I guess there really are people that are interested in this. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have to find uh, someone else who's brave enough to uh, take a bite out of this pepper. But that is all the time that we have for now. Thank you so much, Casey, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Casey Crownhart, climate reporter for MIT Technology Review. She's based in New York City.